Welcome to the Mr. Vincent Podcast. I'm your host, Emmanuel Vincent, and it's going to be a great day and certainly will be a great week for all of you. I just got that feeling. See, I'm being optimistic here. Y'all got to appreciate that. (laughs) So uh, for this episode over the weekend, I did talk to my good friend, Michelle Fenelon, who is a freelance reporter. Essentially just talked with her about um, her early passion um, for sports um, and what made her wanted to pursue this um, career path in the sports journalism realm, what she's doing right now, and essentially what she wants to do um, long term going forward. Really good conversation because Michelle is worked extremely hard at at this, uh, very passionate about her craft, and it's a really good insight for people, especially those who want to be in the journalism uh, world, want to pursue that as a career. Um, it's not all glitz and glamour. It's actually not at all when you're starting off. It's a lot of hard work. So this would be a good episode to listen to. Uh, now, keep in mind, we did record on Friday evening. So I did ask her about the Celtics and the Heat going into game five. I know what happened last night. Seas fans, sorry in advance. I gotta say. Um, but yeah, let's get into it right now. Here it is. It's the Mr. Vincent podcast, episode 60. Tap in. Yeah, I haven't seen you since um, NABJ. Um, yeah. Has anything changed for you since then? No. Um, everything's, I mean, I went from part-time, from full-time to part-time at my job um, with the city, but that's about it. That's the biggest change for me. Um, just trying to find different ways to get my reps in and build that resume real. Mm, okay. So you work for the city. Um, what does that do you do? I so pre- previously I was a communi- communication specialist so I was doing a lot of social media writing press releases taking photos shooting video a lot of that stuff but now I'm part-time as a community liaison so um, I'm just finding ways to make sure everyone in the community is accounted for and we can provide different opportunities for people in the community. Right now I'm working on partnering sister for the youth in the city. So, you know, they have that support right now, especially as they're doing remote learning during COVID. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's tough. Anybody doing remote learning, I feel so bad for kids, especially like elementary school kids. Like, I don't think everybody's equipped to learn remote as opposed to like the traditional setting. So that's tough. Absolutely. I agree. It would be tough for me too. Oh, I there's no way I could do it. I I know me. My, me <laughs> at age, any range, there's no way I could ever focus. I know it. And especially now with technology and everything, I no way. Couldn't do it. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> so um I, I'm curious because like you're like the only journalist I know that's like around my age and I'm cool with. I'm curious, I never asked you before, what at what like what got your interest into the field and like how early were you interested in journalism oh it's it's so funny I love telling this story because people are always shocked but I actually grew up not liking sports um but I grew up in yes but I grew up in a small apartment um a two-bedroom apartment and I had a lot of people live family living with me my parents are Haitian parents who don't say no to anyone who needs help and 
<laughs> and I had an older, I had cousins who were living with me at the time. And one of my older cousins, huge sports fan, loved Randy Moss, loved the Patriots, loved watching basketball, loved the Celtics. Um, and me being younger, I just, I couldn't choose what we watched on television. Um, so we always ended up watching sports. I always remember sitting down in front of the television while my older cousin was braiding my hair and while they were all watching sports. And it was in about 2001 when I something clicked and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I like basketball. And ever since then, I just fell in love with the sport. And then it just became I like I was okay with watching all sports. <laughs> Um, and it was early 2000s when I was watching Stephen A. Smith and he had his own show. I think it was called Quite Frankly. Yeah. And I was just like, man, he's so passionate. He loves this. And I was like, you know what? I want to do that. And it was I think I was about 12 years old when I realized I wanted to be in sports media. And it was in high school, my junior year, when I started writing. And I started writing for my school newspaper. And I just love storytelling I love finding stories um, within sports and producing those stories and that's when I was like yeah this is this is what I have to do for the rest of my life that's dope that's really really dope like now I can see where your passion comes from comes from, from yeah thank you oh no problem no problem um so you started writing in high school like traditionally like newspapers um, yes. did you, was that always was your was your mindset always? I want to be on camera as opposed to wanting to do regular print. Yes, it was always I want to be on camera. However, when I was in high school writing for my school newspaper, my journalism teacher and the newspaper advisor always said, "You got you have to know how to write if you want to be on camera." And that's a lot of that's something a lot of people don't know. That's something my media coach still tells me all the time. When I, I meet with her, she tells me all the time, you just have to write better. You have to write better. And people don't understand how important that is when you are on camera. And so for me, it was always, I wanted to be on camera, but I chose to begin with writing for print. And after I wrote for my high school newspaper, I ended up writing for the Boston Globe where I was a high school sports correspondent. And I was able to get that start and learn how to be a writer and learn how to put stories together. Although writing for print and broadcast are two totally different things, but it's still really good to know how to do both, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. I mean, like when the realm of journalism, especially today, you have to be like multi-talented, whether writing, writing, being on camera, even with social media now, the investment of technology, like, there's a lot of work that goes into like being good on social media at journalism. And Absolutely. I feel like a lot of people, when they come up, they just see like the TV and think like the glitz and the glamour. Um, but they don't realize like the real grind that goes um, behind the scenes and what it takes to get to where they want to be at. Yeah. Like you talk about Stephen A. Smith, like he's always told the story how like he started off like basically on like, like maybe 20,000 a year. That's damn near poverty. Uh, but he, you know, I was trying to write in like at high school papers, local papers, school, and then now he's at probably arguably, well, I think he is the face of ESPN right now. I think, I think that's safe to say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people you watch on TV, it's a grind for, for them to get to where they are. A lot of them mm -hmm. started with high school, covering high school football in the rain, in the snow, 
writing your own stats because this is not it's not professional sports where you get stats after every quarter you get half time stats you you doing that yourself you know, and then you have to make deadline for the newspaper. And that's no joke. So it really is a grind. So when Stephen A. Smith talks about it all the time, I hear, I get what he's saying. And I think that's important for a lot of people to know, especially for young people who say this is what they want to do. Well, if this is what you want to do, you have to know what it takes to get here. And not everyone's journey is the same. You know, everyone has a different journey. Everyone has a different path. But the grind has to be the same, I think. Mm, yeah, no, Exactly. Like, I think journalism is one of those fields where, like you said, like, everybody's path not the same. There's, like, no set course. You can take your own path. It might take you longer than somebody else, but you shouldn't get discouraged because, I mean, everybody's just is different in, in a sense. Yeah, and that's what I always remind myself, too. You know, when it, it is getting tough, I'm like, well, this is my journey. This is my path. This is my story. I got to fall mm-hmm. in love with it because it's not going to be the same as the next person's. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, also too. So you said you have a, a coach, a media coach. Yes, I do. Hmm. So, um, can you talk about that a little bit? Cause that's interesting. Oh, well, so yeah. I did go to, I, I did undergrad at UMass Boston. Um, and I got my bachelor's in English, but I still mm-hmm. didn't do a lot of stuff on camera. And then I went to Syracuse, got my master's there. We did do a lot of stuff on camera, but Stuff like learning how to be a sideline reporter, I was just, (laughs) I felt like I was just watching people and saying, okay, this is what I have to do, and then doing it. But for me, I think it was really important for me to have a coach to tell me what I was doing wrong, how I can improve, what I can do better, how to ask better questions, work on my delivery, my pacing, and all that stuff. For me, it's very important to have a coach that's pushing me and helping me to get better instead of me just going out on the field every day and just doing something and think I'm doing it right. Mm. Okay. So basically like a mentor. Yes. Yes. A mentor that I pay. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Now th- that's, that's dope. Um, let me ask you this question. Cause you know what I feel like with the journalism? Um, I, I kind of tell people that it's not, it's probably best that you don't try to like get advice from like a lot of people because it's so subjective. Like one person can think you're really good. The other person can think you're just okay. You got to work on some things. So I feel like that can kind of like, like throw someone off course a little bit, like have them like overthinking things too much. What do you think about that? I totally agree. And what I tell young kids now is you have to choose whose advice or whose opinion you want to take. Um, Mm. And I, I go through that where I have someone who will say, oh, you're really good, or someone say, mm, you're not that good, or you can do better at this. I love the way you do this. Or someone will say, I don't think you should do this. You know, and like you said, it's so subjective. Everyone has their own opinions and ideas of what you should look like or what you should say on television. And someone once told me that you have to choose people you trust and take that mm. advice and take their opinions because if you don't you're just going to be confused and that's how I was in the beginning and my sister said it all the time she said I feel like you always have people who say different things and I'm like yeah and I don't know who to listen to so I had to learn that you really can't listen to everybody everybody's opinion about you and I mean you can say the same thing in life but when it comes to journalism you do have so many 
people saying so many different things and giving you different advice or opinions on your delivery and on things you should do or shouldn't do on camera. Mm, yeah, ex- exactly. Like, um, so back in 2015, I interned at a small NBC affiliate startup station in Delaware. So there's about a really small, so it's only about like two or three reporters that were there. Um, so I'm still like in contact with them a lot. So if I need some advice from journalism aspect, I'll go to either one of one of them three. And I feel like I'm I'm fine. Like I have like that base of people I can rely on. Um, because they're like all throughout the country now in different parts working. Um, yeah, because like I said, like I, I feel like I get overflowed too much when you try to get everybody else's opinion, and you might like question yourself. Yes. Really that good enough? Yes. Da, 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 da. Um, I think that that can just lead to like a lot of like I don't know self doubt. Yeah, it leads to a lot of self doubt. It leads to a lot of like obviously you don't want someone that's gonna say, "Oh, you're good" every time. That's why I don't really <laughs> send my stuff a lot to my friends because I know they gonna <laughs> what they're going to say. Um, but it is good to have somebody you trust who mm-hmm. you will really you know take their advice and who will give you an honest opinion. So it's good that you do have those reporters that you are able to go to exactly i need to find people like that and who podcast because like i'm like 50 like 56 episodes in maybe i think so when people always hear like yo you're doing a really good job it's dope da, da, da. i'm like thank you but in my head i'm like nah i know i have a lot of work to do the way i be at so i gotta like seek advice to people who've like done this for a long time and i need to build that, that a network solid network in a podcast Ab- so i plan to do that over the next uh, year or two. Um, it's funny. So when we talked earlier, um, we, a, cu- a couple of weeks ago, and I was telling you how, like, my experience in a small market, and because you were saying you would never want to go to a small market. Um, just curious as to, like, why don't you want to go to a small market? Uh, and I'm going to tell you my reason for it. Um, so did I say that exactly? Oh, I said I didn't want to. I, yes, didn't want I said to. I didn't want to go to a small market. But if I had to, I would, because I understand somebody, mm. everyone starts somewhere. And I feel like early on in, in my career, a lot of people would say, oh, you have to go to a, a small market. Um, and then, but then, you, but then as I got, you know, I started growing in my career, then you'll find, I also found people who say, you don't necessarily have to start in a small market. Um I think for me, it's not that I'm afraid to move, but I come from a big city <laughs> and I don't know, I don't really want to go to a small market, but if I had to for my career, I would, because a lot of people say, go to a small market, get your reps, mess up, you know, learn how to become a better broadcaster, learn how to become a better reporter, better journalist, and then you're polished and ready enough to go to that small, to go to that bigger market that you want to go to. And I'm not saying I necessarily want to start in like New York or Los Angeles, but um, I just, I'm just very iffy on going to a small market. No, I hear that. I mean, New York, LA, that's tough. That's like the top two media markets in the country. Yeah. So definitely have to put some work in before that. Absolutely. Um, no, because, there was one time earlier in the quarantine, I think I was watching, I want to say it was had to be Taylor Rooks and maybe Carrie Champion. I think Taylor Rooks was, I, I'm i pretty sure she's saying this, that she didn't necessarily like start up in a small market, but she had to do probably like damn near twice as much work to avoid going to a small market. Yeah. Um, my experience is because, like I said, I was in Delaware uh, for like in the summer of 2015, interning out there for like three months. And 
that was like a huge like culture shock to me. I don't know if that's the right term I should use, but like there was nobody who looked like me. Yeah. You know, coming from the city where it's like all like it's really slow, like farms and stuff. Cause this is like deep south Delaware. When people think of Delaware, think of like Wilmington, which is like right near Philly. But no, I'm like an hour and a half down south there. Um, there's a lot of Confederate flags on homes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like if I was out there right now in this climate, the social climate, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't survive out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was just like I can't I can't work in a small market if it's what I gotta do. But I mean, luckily, but I think that the experience that I got there will like last a lifetime and the connections I made. But like I, I just can't see myself being in a small market either. I'm telling you, so after um undergrad and I was still into like print journalism, um I mm-hmm. had an opportunity to go to a small market and after I got off I after I got off the phone, I Googled that place and I saw was racism and I, I think I cried. I remember myself crying. I couldn't do it. I'm just, you know, not ready. Like you said, it's a culture shock, but not just culture shock. You know, being around racist, racism is not easy. And you're by yourself. I was like, I couldn't do it. Absolutely. I couldn't do it. It would have been my first time leaving home and to go into an environment like that. I just, I couldn't see myself doing it. Hmm. Yeah, I was like, I gotta get home as soon as possible, and I did. But that's why we grind, though, right? That's that's why we put in that hard work, like Taylor Rook says, work tr- twice as hard so we don't have to go to those markets. Mm, exactly. Um, so now I've I'm seen. I so you said you work for the city, right? Your city you live in. Yes. And you were covering all the high school like sports, like football and basketball for them. I was. So I started my own show, and I was covering I mean you're from Massachusetts so you know about the football team here um, oh yeah yeah so I so I was covering them covering Pope John football I was covering basketball and it was nice and I liked it but my, my problem was I didn't have anyone telling me what I was doing right or what I was doing wrong and I was also taping the show I was my own boss essentially and wow. I was also taping the show. I wasn't doing it live. And I felt like I needed a challenge. That's why I started working for BNN, Boston Neighborhood Network, and doing sideline reporting for them because that was live. And then I was also working with a producer who's been in the game for a long time, someone I can ask questions, someone that can help um, teach me a lot of the things that I felt like I didn't know in the industry yet. Mm, okay. So, yeah, so you're saying that you were doing everything, you your own boss. So you was, like, walking around with the tripod, setting it up, breaking yep. it down. Yep, I was, editing. I was doing all that, everything, writing scripts, wow. editing, shooting, highlights, interviews, all that. Yeah, it's crazy that the average person doesn't know, like, how hard a journalist grinds when they first start. Like, that's a lot to do. Like, carrying around that heavy-ass tripod, like, t- trying to find somewhere to position it to record. Then, you know, just watching the games and then after getting an interview after, then taking that, breaking it down, putting it back in, driving off home or wherever you're going to go and look at the footage, edit the footage, do the B-roll, um, do the voiceovers. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. Not only just that, I also had to write like play by play so I could remember who scored when and how long was the touchdown and all that. So I was shooting it, and I remember um, being on the sidelines, and I remember um, I saw, like, a group of photographers. Like, they just kept looking at me and then talking. And I was like, are they talking about me? 
and then and they were judging me because it looked like I wasn't shooting the entire game but I was on my phone writing exactly what was happening and he came to me he's like are you texting or are you here to shoot this game and I was like I'm doing both <laughs> I'm <laughs> you know I'm like I'm I'm paying attention but I have to write down what's happening so when I go put this together I remember because knowing like I said this is high school this is not professional sports where you're going to get stats and you're going to get a touchdown scoring drives after every quarter after after halftime so I was doing all that by myself and that's what a lot of people don't know that it's it's one man band out here (laughs) yeah and and I and I think that it's kind of like they journalists starting off should get paid a lot more money than they. Oh, they don't. Like a lot of the a lot of journalists struggle, like twenty thousand, twenty five. I I saw one time there was um a thread on Twitter where people were talking about how much they made starting off, and it was, whew, I don't I don't know how how they did it. I don't know how a lot of people still do it. It's it's tough. It's like it's, it's poverty. Yeah, they want you to do a lot more for a lot less money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like, you I mean, sacrifices got to be made. Uh, yeah. In, the, in this business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so perfect time to take a break. We'll come back and I'm going to ask you some more things. All right, let's pick up where we left off at for the podcast, episode 60. So I seen that you was in the program Rising Stars run by is it run by Lashina Robinson at BSPN? Yes, she runs it, right? Lashina Robinson. Yes, Rising Media Stars. Lashina, that's how you pronounce yes. names. So I'm bugging. <laughs> you what the, what the does a, a great job on ESPN as a um, analyst and reporter. Really good, really good job. She's awesome. What was that phrase like? Oh, it was really so. It's funny because we're not even finished um, with my year. This was just the second year that she had a class for a rising media star. This was her second class. And we were supposed to, this summer, we were supposed to go cover a WNBA game and uh, also maybe do some work with the Braves. However, because of COVID, we couldn't do that. And then also we were supposed to have a graduation that same weekend. And so we couldn't do that. (laughs) So we're still in our year. It's not over yet. Um, But it's been a really good experience. What's funny is her nephew is my brother's friend. And I think since high school, he kept telling me, oh, reach out to my aunt. My aunt at the time, um, she works for NBA TV. Um, She's really good. You should reach out to her. And I never did until grad school when we had to write a story. We had to write an article on a media professional. So I reached out to her and I wrote a story on her and it was so crazy. And then years later, she's my mentor. And it's just funny how it became, came full circle. LaChina Robinson is someone that wants to see black women succeed in the media industry. She wants to see yeah. us do well. Um, and not even just in the media sh- industry, in life. You know, um, she's always checking in on us, especially with her busy schedule. We have Zooms on right now um we talk about what's going on in our personal lives and she's somebody that um i'm very thankful to have in my life um like you said she's really good at what she does but she's just as good as a mentor and as a person so it's been a great experience being able i was able to go to the falcons game in the hawks game 
uh, during November and interview and do some report guidelines. And that was for me and it reaffirmed um, for me that this is what I'm supposed to do. And it was the perfect time because around that time I did go through that self-doubt really knowing, am I really supposed to be doing this? And it really allowed me to be in that environment and I mean that I'm walking purpose and um, I just got to keep grinding until I get there. Mm, that that's so dope. Yeah, I mean, I follow her on, on social media, so I see a lot, a lot, a lot of things she puts a lot of people on. Like that's a that's a that's a dope. That sounds like a dope experience. So it wait is. a minute. So you said like like a class. So is it like a uh, like a program basically where like you like do like in class work and then you actually go out and, like re- go on the field and report. So um, so we do have homework. In the beginning, it was have a Zoom, and then she would actually give us homework, like watch this NBA game, what are um, some questions you would the winning coach, what are some questions you would ask the losing coach, and also she would ask us to do like a recap of a game on camera, and then she'd watch it and critique us, give us some critiques, and um, so that's what, that's what it was, and then when we all met for the first time for our in-person meet, it was Atlanta clips that for as homework assignments. Um, she also told us, obviously, find some storylines that we could use when the Atlanta Hawks and the Falcons game so we can do a report on that on the field. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's, that's dope. Yeah, let me, okay, let me ask you this question because I always wanted to ask somebody because I don't know anybody other than you who is like, wants to be like a sideline reporter. You probably know like the process it is to like, sit at a game do a do a like a quick story when like let's say um kevin holland shoots down to like rose on gold right and then he, t- yeah. he gets a report from her bang she shoots it then the game's going on then halftime comes you take then you gotta interview one of the players and ask them about like what they think about their performance so far and what they're looking to do in the second half like how hard is that because I, I think it's got to be like crazy hard to do that even though it looks simple, it's like, it's difficult. I honestly never wanted to be a sideline reporter in the beginning, but it was an opportunity that I had. And I was like, this is an opportunity for me to get reps. So why not do it? And boy, <laughs> it is not easy. It's tough. You have to come into, you have to come into every game with multiple stories that you have. I had some sideline reporters that told me um, they come into games with 20, with 20 stories um, that they could use during the game. It, it's tough. Um, it's tough to come up with those questions on the fly because you want to ask good questions. You want to ask questions that are going to get answered and not only get answered, you want to ask um, questions that you know um, the player or coach will give an informed answer, not just, oh, we have to play better. But, okay, what exactly do you have to do better? Not just play better, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's tough. And then being on the sideline, you, you have to find, um, out how this person's, how, what injury this person got and how they're doing. And it's different with high school because I feel like with professional and college sports, um, you have an SID or you have a PR person that you can go to, to get that information. Um, in high school, I, I remember during football season, I went to go check on a player and, the trainer was like, um, 
I can't give out information on a player. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what do you do then? You know, so it, it was different for me with high school, but it's, it's tough down there. It's tough. Yeah. So, so you said that they, that they like Simon reporters would have like 20 stories and they, they basically from like different like sources, like a bleach report or like a Yahoo sports. No. And it's read it. No, no. Like stories. Um, for example, uh, let's see. What's, what's a story. <laughs> um, for example, I covered a team, um, the coach compared his two best players, and this was girls basketball. He compared his two best players to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So, so okay. I had a story on that, on what exactly he saw in his two best players to compare them to those two, you know, Celtics players. Also had a story on a coach that had a running quarterback, but he wants to keep his running quarterback in the pocket. And I remember I asked him, how do you do that when he's watching Lamar Jackson have an MVP season on his legs? And told a story about that, how they were changing um, the way his quarterback played. Just different stories about players, about coaches, about teams. It could be um, stories on their personal lives, stories on charity work, but different stories that um, would add to the broadcast that you wouldn't normally know outside of the game. Ah, uh, yeah. So stories you find yourself. Okay. 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 Yeah. That, that, that gotta be hard. Yeah, Seth, I, I remember <laughs> during college basketball season, I reached out to a Northeastern players, high school coach to get a story um, that I would be able to use during the game. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I always wondered like that. That that's not easy, even though like they make it look easy on TV. Yeah, some of them. But do. again, like it, they've done it forever. Yes, some of them make it look so. Michelle Tafoya, Lisa Salters, Pam Oliver. Pam Oliver is one of the best. I love watching. She makes it look. She's just like flawless. Um, but a lot of them who've mm -hmm. been in the game for so long, they make it look very easy. Mm, okay so usually with with journalists i feel like a lot of people when they give you advice on journalism is you want to find somebody who you who you gravitate to who you like and then try to emulate them in some sense is there anybody that you like gravitated to over the years who you who style that you like and like and try to like incorporate that in, into your yeah, own yeah uh tiffany blackman she works she used to work for nfl network uh, but she left i think she was there for five years but I used to, especially last year, I used to wake up every Sunday morning just to see her post her NFL update of the day. Her personality, it just shines through the screen. And that's something I struggle with. Um, my brother would tell me all the time. He was like, I never, I don't see your personality a lot because I'm just like, oh, I got to make sure I get this hit right. I have to make sure. Um, I don't miss a word. I get this player's name. I make sure I get this slate. I get all the stats correct. And then I forget to be Michelle. You know, she never forgets to be Tiffany. She always shows her personality and I love it and I can relate to her. So that's someone I used to watch a lot um, because I just admire how she could be herself on camera. And that's something I'm working on doing. Like my media coach yesterday told me, she was like, be a diva, be Michelle, because this is not who I see. Um, so that's someone I really admire and try to emulate a lot. 
Mm, okay. Is there anybody who like who's like who's one of your favorites right now? Ooh, who's my favorite right now? Uh oh man. Obviously Latina La Robinson. Love watching her. Um Hmm. Who else? Taylor Rooks, really good. I know Carrie Champion oh, isn't with ESPN anymore, but she was someone um, that I love. Elle Duncan, also. Sorry, okay, maybe I'm <laughs> naming too many people. There are a lot of people killing it right now, especially Black women, and I love to see it because growing up, I didn't see it. So now that I am seeing it, you know, all I want to do is support them, and I'm just enjoying this black girl magic right now in sports media. Yeah, like like Taylor Rooks, like you brought it up, like I think that she killed it in the bubble. Like that's like some monumental type stuff that she was doing, like in the bubble, like very innovative. And I think that's like a, that's a great experience that she made of the situation that you know through the COVID nineteen players were forced and media was forced to like continue continue the season, but had to be in a bubble away from everybody isolated. But I think that she did a really great job, like getting these dope uh, interviews, getting like really great shots on the phone. I feel yeah, like she's on the phone on like mm-hmm. social media. Like she, she really made the most out of that, the best out of that situation. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another question I was going to ask you. Um, I just forgot because I'm, I'm just, yeah. It's, I'm all, old. it's all good. It's late. It's Friday. You probably just thinking about the weekend. How are you gonna stay home because we're in a health? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You. Right. Yep. That, that's exactly right. Um. Okay. So you're watching the game tonight, right? I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Well, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You're a I fan. I'm not gonna watch the game. I'm not okay. Maybe I'll watch a little bit, but you have to understand. You gotta put. I'm a Celtics fan, but I also have to protect my peace. And I don't need that kind of negativity in my life right now. And the Celtics (laughs) have been very negative. And I don't know if I want that tonight. Maybe I'll watch. We'll see. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is a weekend. You know why we can start start off bad. But honestly, let me ask you a question. What do you think is is going wrong right now with them? Because honestly, I felt like, I, well, I didn't formally make a pick, but I had my friend on it. We was talking about it before the, the series started. I said, this is going to go either six to seven games either way. I personally would give the edge to the Celtics because I feel like when it goes six or seven games, you already you already know everything you're going to see from from each side, right? So it just comes down to who has more players capable of making a big shot under duress um, in a big moment of a game. I think Boston has more players capable than Miami does. I'm shocked at what's going on. So I agree with you that I also think thought. So I thought I had Miami in six, and I thought it would be a great series because of Miami's defense. They're hungry, but then I also felt like Boston had that talent: Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. They have the offensive talent you need, you know. But I and I don't even want to say that the Celtics are young because. This is not the first time Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown have been in the Easter Conference Finals. This is not the first time Marcus Smart has been in one either. Um, but what we saw with the Raptors series, the zone hurt them. And also, the Celtics can't close games. They cannot close games. And then also when they get rattled, and the, it, the game's over, you know? Once they get that punch in the mouth, they don't punch back. 
And I feel like that's what the Miami Heat, they're capable of doing. And then you had Jimmy Butler. Um, I actually had this conversation with someone who was like, I feel like Jimmy Butler is getting too much credit. Jimmy Butler looks to, you know, get his team going in the beginning. But in the fourth quarter, he wants the ball in his hands. He's going to make that big play on offense or defense. You can count it. Count on that. And he's done that multiple times throughout the series. And I just feel like the Celtics, they're just not ready. They're just not ready to win those big games yet. And and I felt like this was a perfect opportunity for them. You don't have to go on the road. You didn't have to go on the road to play the Raptors. You didn't have to go on the road to play mm-hmm. Philly. You know, no, you didn't have to worry about home court advantage. You're in a bubble. This should have been your time to shine. But nope, Tyler Hero was just going off. Um Man, he he he's just fearless. Like I I I'm I'm a fan of Tyler Hero. I was a fan of him throughout the year. I watch Miami games every now and then. Like, y'all like him. Like, he he's just a lot of big shots. But now watching him, like, he could do actually more. He could put the ball on the floor. He can make plays. Like, he's he yes, got potential. He's a like, it, it, I, it's rare to see a kid this this good, that young, twenty years old, coming to the NBA and killing it. And this big yeah. stage too. And I and I think the bubble helps him. Also, you don't have to worry about <laughs> you don't have to worry about a Boston Celtics fan base that's going to scream in here because that atmosphere in the TD Garden during the playoffs is different, you know? He doesn't have to mm-hmm. worry about that. So it was a perfect opportunity for him to, to go on. And I'm not go off. I'm not taking away from what he's done, but I'm just saying being in the bubble has helped him. And I just think the Celtics, they just have failed to respond multiple times. I'm even I'm shocked they won one game, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if they win tonight, but I just think um, Miami's going to come out of the gate hungry and ready to end the series. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, like Miami is like Boston is poor at executing. I didn't realize that at all until like this, 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 uh, this um, series in particular. Because um, like this can easily be 2 2. It could easily possibly be like 3 1 or the other way around. Like it came, like they're not getting, not, not they're getting blown out in these games. Like these games are coming down like to the crucial minutes of the fourth quarter, really. And Miami is just executing while exactly. They are and not. I saw that against the Raptors. The last the, the last game they wanted against the Raptors, they couldn't score down the stretch. They're lucky they had. Mm. I think it was like a ten point lead. They were lucky they had that because they could not score. And so I I'm not surprised that they're doing the same thing against the Miami Heat. And I don't know why Celtics fans are surprised either. I'm like, we saw this. We saw the writing on the wall. Miami's just doing a better job, like you said, executing, especially down the stretch. And Boston isn't. It's, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, that, that's what it really comes down to because all these games have been a close contest relative for the most part. Um, do you think that possibly Temba's can be the prop ball, could be a, the, the biggest problem for the Celtics right now? Because he's not playing well at all. Like, I thought he would. Honestly, he might be hurt more than people think, or they uh, the Celtics are letting on. But he don't look. That's right what there. I, I agree. That's what I felt. I was like, maybe he's hurt, um, but I don't think Kemba's the problem at all. I just think Miami's. I don't want to. I I don't want to say they're better, but a better team, but they're playing better every game. Um, they're playing like the better team. And that's what I think. I, I saw a lot of people say, oh, if, if it was Kyrie Irving instead of Kemba Walker, the Celtics would be up. And I disagree because with Kyrie Irving, the Celtics didn't make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And with Kyrie Irving, they fought mm-hmm. <laughs> They fought almost after every loss. 
So if if Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving was still on the scene instead of Kemba Walker, and they had that big um, argument that they had with Marcus Smart walking out of the the locker room, I don't think the Celtics come back and win that next game. I didn't. I think the team would be just ruined, and they lose, and the series is over. But I totally disagree. I don't think Kemba Walker is the problem. He isn't playing as well as I expected him to play, and maybe it could be an injury issue with him. Yeah. Yeah, see, people who say that, like, if Kyrie was there, or be better off, they're looking at him from a talent standpoint. I mean, I think Kyrie's a more talented basketball player than Kemba. I don't think there's any question about that, but Kemba's definitely a better fit into the way the yes. Celtics play, because Kyrie, like, I, I'm a fan of Kyrie. I love watching him play, but he holds that basketball long, longer than, like, all, most players yes. in the league. And mm-hmm. the ball doesn't swing. I mean, Tatum's not getting in the rhythm. I mean, Brown's not getting into a rhythm. So, if he's playing right now, if he was on that team, he'd be playing the season will be playing into the Miami Heat team. Yes, and I don't even think they get past the Raptors with Kyrie Irving on the team. Yes, more talented than Kemba, but he was not the right fit for that team. Exactly. Definitely wasn't. Um, yeah, see, the seeds like, with my thought, when people told me, like, oh, that they can win a chip, I'm like, I don't know if they can, only because there's two things. I felt like they have they lack size in the interior. I think Bam is exposing that this series, and Kemba's just so small that when he goes up against, like, Teams with, with length, it's going to be hard for him to be like, yes. uh, like productive. And I think that's yes, going he's been right looking now. like a liability on defense a lot. And even before entering this series, I said Bam should dominate because the Celtics are smaller in the interior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I, I didn't think that I didn't see this coming, but I mean, who knows? I mean, this series. Even though it's a three-one deficit, it doesn't really feel like a real three-one deficit because these games have been so close. So, who knows? Um, before we get out of here, because I know you got to go, I wanted to ask you, like, so what do you want to see yourself like at your at your peak, right? Where do you want to be at? What do you envision oh, yourself man. in this? It changes round? so much, and part of it is that um, the media. I feel like the media landscape it's changing a lot. A lot of stuff is digital. Um, a, Another reason why it changes because of where I am in my career. Sometimes I change it where I'm like, I just want to be here because it's been so hard. If I make it, I'll be okay be doing this. Um, but I think for me, what it's always been in the beginning of my career is um, hosting my own show. That's that's where I see myself wow. at the peak where I'm like, yeah, I made it. <laughs> I'm hosting my own show. <laughs> Okay, wow, that's dope. Well, best Thank of luck you. to you on that because you, I mean, you certainly got the drive for it, and you're, and you're doing your thing right now. So all that hard work is going to pay off. Eventually, I appreciate sure. it. This been this has been awesome. Um, thank you so much for reaching out to me and having me. Oh no problem. You have you a too. great weekend. Go Celtics. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, special thanks to Michelle. Best of luck to all your future endeavors. Thank you to Anchor. And of course, thank you, the listeners. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button because this podcast is available just about everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, it's there. Instagram and Twitter, if you want to follow, at MrVincent13. And you can also like my Facebook fan page as well, Emmanuel Vincent. Uh, Well, that's all the time we have for now. Coming up soon this week, in about a couple of days, 
uh, the recap of week three of the NFL. Be on the lookout for that. All right. And hopefully I can get in a preview of the NBA final because it starts on Wednesday. That's going to be a relatively uh, short window I have to possibly record that. But we'll see. In the meantime, y'all stay blessed. Stay safe. Take care.